We spend so much time heads down looking right in front of us trying to do the next thing that we're completely missing out on huge opportunities to really grow. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 10, and my guest today is Rebecca Brown, and she is the Director of Development for the Maryland Association of CPAs and the Business Learning Institute. In her role, Rebecca frequently presents to groups both locally and nationally on the future of the accounting profession. Rebecca is a certified Insight to Action facilitator, having guided firms, nonprofits, and accounting professionals in the United States and Canada in their strategic planning process. In 2017, Rebecca was named one of the 20 under 40 superstars who are helping to advance the accounting profession by CPA Practice Advisor. Rebecca earned a bachelor's degree in business administration with a dual specialization in accounting and sports management from the Fisher School of Business at The Ohio State University. She's a CPA and did work as an auditor in public accounting. Now, in her current role, she uses her talents and experiences to work for the profession rather than inside the profession. She has a lot of interesting insights into the future of this profession, and I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Speaking of the future of the profession, there was an article in Accounting Today titled, Melanson, It's Time to Reimagine Accounting, that discusses the future of our profession. Barry Melanson is the president and CEO of the AICPA. This article is based on a presentation he made this year at the AICPA Engage Conference. He's quoted in saying, The opportunities for the profession are immense, but so are the changes we are facing. If we are willing to go beyond, to push on beyond the perceptions of what we do, we can create a profession that is aligned with where the world is headed. Now, my favorite quote from this article is when Barry said, we've changed significantly just in the past year, and we're never going to see the pace of change that's slower than what we're seeing now. And you know, we won't be obsolete, particularly if we embrace these changes. Let that sink in. We've changed significantly just in the past year. And we're never going to see the pace of change that's slower than what we're seeing now. How does that affect you and your business? How does that affect you as an accounting financial professional as we move forward? So I highly recommend that you find this article and read it because Barry and the Institute's chair, Eric Hansen, provide us with their ideas on where we need to start, on how new takes on old roles, what things that we need to learn, 
and their big picture vision of the profession. Now, after reading this article and listening to Barry's podcast interview with Bill Sheridan on Future Proof, a podcast for accounting and financial pros, I have decided to invest my CPE time and dollars into learning more about blockchain and artificial intelligence. Now, I've been somewhat reluctant, but now I want to have this better understanding of this technology. You can find the Future Proof podcast with Bill Sheridan on iTunes. I listen to it. He does a wonderful job. I highly recommend this podcast to all accounting and financial professionals. Before we get to the interview, let me ask you two questions. Do you want to present financial information with confidence and clarity? Do you want to turn boring numbers into a compelling story that describes your business better? Well, let my new book, Taking the Numb Out of Numbers, Explaining and Presenting Financial Information with Confidence and Clarity, be the guide in your transformation. See, when you take the numb out of numbers, that leaves you with ERS, E-R-S, which stands for Effective Relatable Stories. And isn't that the goal in every financial presentation? Because when we tell stories, we engage our audience. Hayden Williams, who's a CFO at the Washington Society of CPAs, is quoted in saying, this book is a must-read for any financial professional. The book is now available on Amazon, so stop what you're doing and buy it today. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Rebecca Brown. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, today, I'm with my very special guest, who I've known now for about five, six years. I'm here with Rebecca Brown. And Rebecca, thank you for taking time. I, you, I know, very hectic schedule, because you work at the Maryland Association of CPAs. And I know for a fact, to get you to sit down for an hour is probably a challenge, because you've got so much going on there that, that keeps you running in every which direction. But thank you for taking time to be with me this morning. Yeah, very happy to be here, Peter. And actually, you probably have only known me for five and a half years, but I've known you longer. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> so I, because I went to Ohio State, right. I was the Ohio Society's student ambassador at Ohio State. And I heard you present probably my junior year, maybe, of college. And so when I came to MACPA and I heard your name thrown around, I was like, I remember that guy. <laughs> I remember the improv thing and everything. Yeah. Oh, wow. Isn't that wow. funny? That's, <laughs> I, I, you're just now telling me this, which is... I know. I, I can't believe I hadn't told you that before. Yeah. Holy, holy cow. Wow. So I presented at a student event? I think it was a high school accounting workshop thing, yeah. exposing high school students to the accounting career. And so I went and was on a panel of like what it's like to be an accounting college student. And you were there, I think. Either it was that, or I also met you there and at the like orientation for Ohio Society's student ambassadors. Oh, okay. um, we did like a little training. Yeah. And uh, I think you talked about like the improv thing. Probably did. When they put me in front of students like that, they'd always want me to do talk about the improv stuff. And yeah, and, that's, because that's, that's fun kind of, stuff. Yeah, it's kind of fun versus yeah. let me talk to you about let me talk to you about what it's like at a firm. Yeah. And, and you are a CPA. I am a CPA. Card carrying CPA. So give the, the the audience a little bit about your background after you graduate from the 
Ohio State University. So I actually have a dual major or degree from the Ohio State University <laughs> and the Fisher College of Business. So I majored in accounting and sports management. So that's how I got to my 150. Okay. Yep. So that's another fun fact. <laughs> that's another fun fact. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I actually went into accounting to do sports management. I have a passion for football, always love football. Um, knew I would never play football. <laughs> um, and so decided to go in the business side, always been pretty business minded. Went to Ohio State because they were one of the only schools I found that would let me do sports management as part of their business school and not as part of their like sports and leisure studies program. And they don't have that as an actual major. I had to create it. So I had to research sports management majors all over the country, take the best of the best courses and like create the specialization within Fisher, present it and get it approved and all of that. Wow, um, that's cool. Yeah. So <laughs> when I start, that was my purpose in going to Ohio State and Fisher. And then when I had to do my undergrad, you know, the gen ed kind of stuff for the business school, accounting obviously was part of that. And I kind of fell in love with the logic of accounting and thought it would be a great pairing with the sports management to kind of go get my CPA, um, work in a firm, get that experience, and then move into the sports management field. So that was always my plan, but plans change. <laughs> so yeah, when I talk to students, I tell them my career path has been like Lombard Street in San Francisco. Like yeah. I have made some changes that don't make any sense to me, but it gets me safely to where I am today. So, so but you start off in accounting. That was, that was the focus. And it sounded like the sports management was the add-on, as you said, to get to the 150. What made It you... actually was flipped. It was flipped. I started with the sports management I, and then I went uh -huh. into accounting and then my perceptions and my ideas and what I wanted to do kind of flipped. And so then the sports management was the extra hours and the accounting was the focus. So, so what was it about... Why did you become an accountant? What was it about that, that, that when you saw that you went, oh, I, I could do this? Yeah. So it's so cliche, but accounting is the language of business. <laughs> it just was so obvious to me in those courses. It was logical. Now I know once you get into the working world in actual application, it's not always logical. But in, in school, it was very logical. Everything had a place. I am very analytically minded. So that fit pretty well. And um, to be honest, I grew up around accounting. So it was familiar to me and I knew and respected the profession uh, so much that it made a lot of sense for me to kind of go in that direction. So when you graduated, who'd you go to work for? So I graduated and I went to work for a large um, top 100 regional firm in Maryland. Really amazing firm. I had interned with them between my junior and senior year. At the end of my, I guess the summer of my junior year, I got a full-time offer. So I was able to go into my senior year of school with a full-time job. So that made that very pleasant experience and started working, you know, right when I got home. Actually, you know what? I took like two months off. Uh, my sister got married. And I uh, started, I had to take one ethics course. So Maryland requires a specific ethics course to sit for the exam. Um, this was part of the, I was before the 12150. So now they can sit at 120. I couldn't sit till 150. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> so, so I had to... Uh, Take that ethics course um, over the summer. My sister got married, and then I started at the beginning of August um, in public accounting and audit. And audit. And 
How many years were you in public accounting? I was in public accounting about three, a little over three years. years. And you said, um, this might not be for me or this might not. And, and, and I want to do something different. And is that when you came over and joined MACPA? So yes. So what I found was I went and got the CPA. I got um, promoted to senior. Um, I probably had been a senior for about six months. Oh no, no, about maybe six or eight months, and got really really stressed out. Um, I had kind of taken on a special project to help train all the incoming staff and the interns. Um, loved that. Poured a lot of time and passion into that, and. Um, the client work kind of piled up <laughs> because I was pouring so much love and passion into that and then got kind of bogged down. It was, it was a summer. We, I did mostly employee benefit plan audits over the summer, got kind of drowning in that client mm-hmm. work and um, just wasn't feeling great about what I did. Had a training session of all things, a CPE session for all the seniors. And what we did was this leadership style assessment and my results came out that I was spirited and considerate. Those were my two, you know, defining mm-hmm. words of my leadership style. And every single one of my colleagues came out as direct and systematic. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was kind of at that point that I realized I like fundamentally went about things differently than they do. And that wasn't a bad thing, but it did kind of make sense now why I was so stressed out and struggling and they weren't. It wasn't that I was given more work to do or my hours or anything like that. It was they thrived in that kind of environment and did well because it fit their strengths. And what I was doing didn't fit my strengths. It's not that I couldn't do it. It just wasn't fulfilling to me and therefore became stressful and when you're under stress, you start making stupid mistakes. And that's kind of what had started to happen. Can I get an amen from the crowd, please? <laughs> because, you, you, like I said, you, yeah, I, yeah, I was different as well and realized that what you just described just took me back to when I was in public and, and when mm-hmm. I was doing accounting work. I, yeah, I've, I'm not that by far. I'm kind of like spirited and yeah i actually asked the the instructor that was teaching it or whatever i actually said out loud oh my gosh should i have been a kindergarten teacher like those are my <laughs> results and they came out and i was like ah, my sister's a kindergarten teacher maybe i should have totally i meant the wrong way like but it was it was a life-changing moment that day <laughs> but the, i will say this and i think that's why i love the profession and accounting it seems like there's so many ways that you can make a living in this business without having to do the accounting work uh, that it just opens a lot of opportunities. Uh, it was some you know fields and some professions. If you don't do, there's nothing there for you. You can go find something completely different. There's exactly. a lot. That, there's a lot can be done for folks like ourselves who are not that stereotypical, but we can add value mm-hmm. to the profession, and and that's what you're doing now at. at Maryland Association of CPAs, you are the director, 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 <laughs> director, right? Director of development, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, director of development. And you were explaining to me before we started the conversation that 
it's 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 out there. It's a little confusing, but you want people to ask you. So, what is the director of development? What do you develop? Sure. So, I think of it in in three areas, three P's. We we like uh, alliteration and, and letters in this <laughs> profession, right? Right. Um, so. The first is people. So I develop people. I am passionate on an individual basis about helping people find their strengths and find their place in the accounting profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on an individual basis, um, which with each of our members, I want to help develop them and develop their careers. Um, the second P is pipeline. So we are, gosh, over 100 years old organization that supports CPAs. And so part of that is that we have to be always constantly thinking about and developing future CPAs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of my work deals with the pipeline, both college students and high school students. I've also done some, you know, elementary school presentations about the accounting profession. So always thinking about who's our next generation CPA, who's our next generation member, um, and preparing them for the profession. And then the third one is the profession in general. Uh, So uh, whether that's inside of Maryland and speaking to our member firms and organizations about how they can be more anticipatory or really find those success skills in their organizations um, that, that we teach through our Business Learning Institute or through our Business Learning Institute, being able to go outside of the state of Maryland as well, developing the profession as a whole, speaking, facilitating, doing strategic planning, um, for fir- firms and organizations, um, actually globally. And then all that knowledge that I get from speaking with CPAs throughout the world mm. and bringing that back to Maryland and sharing that with our members. So everything always comes back to Maryland. That's our purpose. But I think the Business Learning Institute and the speaking um, and teaching that we do outside of the state of Maryland um, is super important too, because we really believe that the um, rising tide raises all boats. Uh, So we want the profession to grow, to be successful, to be anticipatory, to be future ready. And so as we do that all over the world, uh, we believe we are benefiting Maryland. And we believe that Maryland is even, Maryland CPAs are even better positioned to be future ready because of that. I agree wholeheartedly. The work that you guys do outside of the state of Maryland, and then you bring it back in through Tom's PIUs and, and, and the content that you're pushing out. Yeah, they probably heard anticipatory way before many other CPAs in this country heard the word anticipatory. And that's a hard word to say, especially when you're graduating the University of Kentucky. So <laughs> with, with, with that said, what is anticipatory? How, how, is that, how do you frame that? So it's interesting, actually. Um, I heard a definition through um, CPA.com's study of the the future CPA and the skills needed that they did, uh, basically asking our our CPAs future ready, and their results came out. Well, no, unfortunately, <laughs> CPAs themselves, um, so CPAs included in this survey, only about eight percent said that they felt that they were future ready, um, and they defined future ready as the capacity to be aware predictive and adaptive. So aware of future trends and the environment, um, what's going on. Um, Predictive, being able to see those trends and kind of see where things are heading, predict what might happen. And then adaptive being being ready to pivot when things change and being able to um, take the skills that you have um, and apply them in different ways uh, as you go forward. I think now after you just described that, I said, God, 8% sounds like it's high. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, yeah. adaptive is, you know, 
Yeah, the professions have been that overly kind of adaptive. We're, we're a little bit more on that risk averse side, and yeah, and being adaptive takes on additional risk, which you know makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But we all know mm-hmm. that we need to be adaptive. We need to take risk in order to grow. And I know Daniel Burris helped out a lot in this development of this uh, anticipatory. And I had the pleasure of meeting him last week in Dallas at the National. Oh, National Speakers Association Annual Convention. And he's actually, he and Mike Rayburn are co-chairs of our convention in 2019. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've learned a lot from Dan. Um, His anticipatory organization, his book, Flash Foresight, and then the second book, Anticipatory Organization, and then the the anticipatory organization for accounting and finance that we helped kind of co-create. His learning platform, the anticipatory organization, and adapting it for accounting and finance mm-hmm. um, professionals. We've learned so, so much through that experience and that process. Yeah, I've got the book. It's on my stack of things to read, but you know, I almost think it'd be a letdown because I, I've heard so much from Marilyn, from Tom about it and Bill and you, and, and it's almost like, okay, I've probably already read the book. I just haven't read the book. I've been around it for so for, for a number of years, and I, I remember the first time when I, I had my big aha moment was I was presenting at NABA, National Association of Black Accountants, and we were in D.C. at the time, and Tom couldn't make it, and they asked me to do his PIU. And that's when he was talking about the second machine age. And mm-hmm. once I prepped for it and got into it and, and went, oh, my God, this is really cool. And you know I, I know at that point in time, people weren't even thinking that this was ever going to happen. And, and Tom was such a visionary. And then it seemed like overnight, boom. And, and now we're in this future-ready stage. And you did have to present or go talk to some pretty high, highfalutin, as we say in Kentucky, <laughs> some, some highfalutin folks in the accounting profession uh, recently. Would you like to share that with the audience? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I had the... Gosh, Amazing pleasure and honor to speak uh, to and with both two groups of IFAC, so the International Federation of the of Accountants, uh, the IESBA, the International Ethics Standard Board for Accountants, and then the IAASB, the International Auditing and Assurance Standards Board. Uh, so they had a joint meeting of their consulting advisory group. Um, so not their full board, but the, you know, the people that kind of advise them on things. And I got to talk to them about the, you know, the future ready CPA, the future of the accounting and uh, finance profession. And uh, a lot about what I did actually was walk through those three things, aware, predict, and adapt. I kind of broke my presentation down into, okay, Let's be aware. First of all, what is anticipatory? Um, what does that mean? What does the future look like? Um, then aware, what are the trends that we're seeing? We talk about three types of hard trends, demographics, technology, and regulatory. So those are trends mm. that, um, because they're hard trends, they're almost like certainties. Mm-hmm. We can really predict well where they will go. Um, so then we can move into the predict phase of that and being able to go, okay, here's the hard trends. Now, when I look at hard trends, how I categorize them and things like that affect how I think about them and how I predict what might happen because of them. 
and then we go into the adapt, which is really about the skills needed. It is really about being able to, you know, pivot and and move to things and those future ready skills, one of them being being anticipatory, but also being things like communication and leadership and the importance of those softer but often very hard skills that really set you apart as a professional and are really going to be the um, game changers in success, I think, in the future. And currently, I think that's uh, very true of what sets people apart as successful. So this audience, we, we talked about the kind of the demographics uh, of, of this and, and, and mostly white male, some diversity with, with race, some diversity w- with gender. Average age, we figured probably somewhere in the mid-50s, somewhere around that. So the IFACT audience um, was a little different. So um, the IFACT, the, both groups, that I, so because it's an international standards board, mm-hmm. uh, it has representatives from all different countries. Um, okay. So the actual chair of the ethics standards board was from Greece. Fascinating. Oh boy. Oh boy. Fa- fascinating guy. <laughs> being um, Greek. And- being Greek. That makes you was fascinating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stavros um, was one of one of my one of my favorites. And then so they had representation from all it looked like the United Nations. It was oh, cool. an amazing experience to talk to these um, individuals from all over the world that literally had, you know, flown into New York to work on the future of the accounting profession. So the first thing I did when I got there is I had to thank them. Like, thank you for taking it. This isn't like a paid position, right? This is a volunteer thing that they're they're working on our profession and setting standards, uh, hopefully that will make our profession um, future ready, future proof. Uh, so that experience, both with the IAASB and the IESBA, were very um, diverse and international. Um, still, probably majority men, but um, but not. It wasn't drastic to me by okay. any chance. Somebody I met at the time was right now. He is the former chief auditor of the PCAOB, and he invited me to come and speak to the PCAOB PCAOB Standing Advisory Committee or Group okay. Standing Advisory Committee, the SAG. I didn't think that was a great um, <laughs> acronym, but that's what they call themselves. So um, the PCOB SAG. Uh, <laughs> that group was much less diverse. Okay. And not international. A, a couple, you know, but not very um, more U.S. focused. Not a lot of diversity at all in that group. So was, was the response to this anticipatory, this predict, uh, looking at trends, the skills, we need to develop the skills of communication and leadership. Was that well-received or was that looked at kind of, what are you talking about? We're accountants. So it's interesting. I think both groups, it was it was fairly well-received. Okay. So the, the IFAC mm-hmm. community, they were mostly standard setters and auditors okay. um, in that group. The PCOB group was kind of split into thirds with auditors, investors, and um, public company chief accounting officers. Okay. Yeah. So all three groups in the room, mm-hmm. uh, getting all three of those groups to agree on something um, <laughs> probably is more difficult than a lot of things. They, they all seemed very receptive to it. I think the chief accounting officers were really interesting in the conversation because 
especially with the trends in regards to technology, they're like, we're doing all these things and we're worried because our auditors are falling behind. And these are, you know, huge, huge organizations um, that have big four auditors. And they were saying, you know, we're doing robotic robotic process automation in our accounting department. um, And our auditors don't know what to do with it. And so they need to level up and get ready because we're doing it regardless. So that was an interesting conversation. So our message is all about, you know, the profession and making it better and things like that. The investor community was less interested, I think, in our conversation because it was about our conversation was about improving the profession and the skills and things like that. And they're just like, no, just give me my give me my opinion. We talk a lot, especially in the profession now, about that consultative. That's where a lot of things in the profession are going. And right. they don't want to see that. They don't want us to consult with them. They want us to give us, you know, the yeah. unbiased opinion, which I mm-hmm. understand, mm-hmm. but So that was the interesting dynamic was the investor community going, I don't want you to be more consultative. I don't want you to, you know, help your clients more. I just want the black and white opinion. And actually they were interesting too, because they were like the, that's not the financial statements is now a very small percentage of the things we look at when we're making investment decisions. And it was a very interesting group at the PCOB group. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, and what do the the firms within the PCA group? We had the, the 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 chief financial officers, the investors. That third group, who sounds to me like they're lagging behind. Mm-hmm. What, was, what was their thought or their opinion or their comments as relates to futuristic? Yeah, it's interesting. They were probably the um, least vocal group. They didn't. I think they're. I think they're overwhelmed. I think they agree and see everything. I think they completely understand. I think they're just trying to do what they've always done, I think, to a degree. They're like, this is what I know. I'm going to continue to do this. Um, But I think they know they need to be different. And so I think that was a little internal battle almost. The, The desire and the intent is there. And I think they understand it. I didn't hear from a whole lot of them. So that that I found interesting as well, that I think when you're you're hearing from the investor community and from the, their clients mm-hmm. and their clients' clients basically are in the room and I don't know it, they their pushback was always you know it, we're making it harder to do the audit and so the audit is being commoditized um, so it's like we the more regulations stuff you put on the standards we put the more that we have to increase our cost and then the chief accounting officers don't want to pay for it but the investors want it. And so they're the kind of like almost middleman thing. <laughs> yeah. going on maybe. And so they were a little more quiet, at least in my group. So maybe yeah. that, that could also be because when we broke the group into four separate groups, I took a group into a room to facilitate the conversation. And it could just be, I was, my group was, you know, skewed the other way. But, but well, but we sit and look at firms nowadays and the makeup and, and how they're put together and how they run. A majority of them, they run it the same way they did in the 90s and the 80s, the way it's built, the way that, you know, and, and but then you have firms and, and my favorite firm is in, is in Maryland, DeLeon and Stang. Mm-hmm. They, they are very anticipatory. I mean, the things that they're doing in their firm this year is, oh, they get unlimited PTO. Yeah. Yeah. And you say, I've said that in, in audiences and, and some of these partners go, how do you, what? I, and this look of we don't trust them, mm-hmm. and it's it. But that's always been kind of the mindset, and and the, you know, 
<laughs> to change that mindset, yeah, uh, it's going. It's really going to take the non-baby boomer generations, the ones that are coming up now, is to get into those leadership roles and make those changes. In a lot of cases, because, like you said, they they don't want to change with the, the way they've been doing things. And you know, talk about technology. Excel has been out there for how many years? <laughs> I I'll ask the audience: How many of you still have a ten key on your desk at work? And about 75% raised their hand. I go, folks, there's a support group for you. <laughs> Haven't you heard about Excel? And it's like, come on, get into the, it's 2018. And I, I see the profession going to have some parts of it. There's going to be a big shakeup one. Oh, yeah. And that, that shakeup's going to happen sooner than later. I mean, so we had the, 2025 project for an 18. This was this was released, I think, in 2011, 2012. Yep. And most members have not even don't even know what it is. So when I explain it to, and, and really that talks about that skill set that's needed for the future. It's so interesting because that both the Horizons 2025, which yep. you're right, um, was done in 11, 2012, um, and was kind of the re do of the 1997 vision project that right. went to 2011, mm. that is grassroots CPAs saying what the skills needed are. Like they're right. coming up with the right answer. They're just not doing it. And yeah. I don't understand why, but it's true. They, they have the right answer. They see things. It's not that they're... But I think it's, it's that ability to really pick their head up and to start thinking about the future differently. I think our greatest stress or challenge in the profession and probably in a lot of professions is whatever the work is right in front of us. Right. Like we spend so much time heads down looking right in front of us trying to do the next thing that we're completely missing out on huge opportunities to really grow. And it, it's that mindset, again, shift of, uh, yes, I need to you know do my day to day job, yeah. but part of my day to day job needs to be looking out to the future. There's a great blog post from Seth Godin talking about a job and your job being a historical artifact. It's this like list of procedures and things that you've done that have grown over time, and you do this, this, and this every day, and lots of meetings and things like that. But your real value. It isn't your job. It's those special skills that you have, the real things that you can do like no one else. And that, if that, if your job is getting in the way of you doing that, then you need to consider changing your job. Right. Like that's basically what he said. If your job is getting in the way of you doing real valuable work, then you need to change your job. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and, and talking about the, the, this futuristic, there was a, um, an article the CEO of this rather large regional firm uh, of Sickish wrote an article about the future of CPA firms are going to be led by non-CPAs, mm -hmm. which ties back into the whole consulting aspect of it, which ties back into, I mean, I, I, I met a gentleman in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia, and he's a managing partner of a firm, and he's already transformed his firm out of audit and tax into more of a consulting because he sees that as the future. And, and if, if he wants young people like them to come and work for him, he's got to change his firm in order to attract them. I'm going, you get it. Can you help spread the word? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So I was thinking about that the other day that, you know, I totally believe the CPA of today is not going to be the managing partner of the firms. But I don't think that you have to get rid of the CPA in order to do that. So I think in our mindset of what a CPA does and is, I don't think that will be the person leading organizations or firms in the future. But I think that person can be a CPA if they have the right skill. It's not the the acronym itself. It's not the fact that you're a certified public accountant that makes you not the leader of the future. It's that you're operating in the past. Mm. And so if you're an anticipatory CPA, if you're a future ready CPA, 100% you can be leaning and managing partner of a firm Mm. in the future. It's the idea of what we believe a CPA is right now that we don't think can be the leader in the future. But I think we need to change what we think a CPA is, not take them out of the equation in the future. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, because we, we just went full circle. Uh, because yeah. basically, basically what you just described, there's a place for you and I to lead firms because we are that anticipatory CPA. We're not exactly we're, we're not we're not described as you know the, the stereotypical CPA because we bring other skill sets that current CPAs don't have. So maybe that's our, our whole career path is now going to be taking a, a change and we're going to be recruited by the big guys to come in and be the CEO and, and help lead these firms into the future because we can see it. Yeah. And and I want to, to a point, I want to get somewhere where all CPAs are that, like that it's not just ones that maybe have a special, you know, personality type <laughs> or something like that where they're able to get, but I want to change the stereotype of the CPA. Man, I can't tell you since I work with a lot of students, that stereotype is strong and it is not true all the time. Our Student Leadership Academy, I guess a little over two months ago, almost two months ago, I had this dynamic student um, going to be you know, a force to be reckoned with as she enters the profession. And she said to me, you know, I gave my commencement speech for my university because I was the valedictorian. So, you know, super smart. Yeah. You know, she gives her commencement speech. She says she walks off the stage and a gentleman standing there goes, wow, that was such full of passion. That's so awesome for you. But you're going to have to turn that tone that down a little bit when you get into the accounting profession oh. because that's not going to... And that just broke my heart. I yeah. said, that is not true. In fact, we need more of that. We need that passion. Right. We need that zest. And we need people to show it. I think there's a lot of people that have it, that have just been told at some point that they can't show it. Yeah. that we're hiding these things about ourselves. I mean, that's like John Garrett's uh, podcast and kind of the premise for his thing is, you know, bring your full self to work. Talk right. about those kind of fun aspects of yourself that really set you apart. And I think we've got a profession right now that in a lot of different ways doesn't value those special kind of quirks or diversity or all of those things that really make people who they are. And I think what really, if they can embrace that, I think those are the organizations that are going to kind of win out because it is diversity of thought. It's that passion. It's that zest. It's That's what creates successful people and successful organizations, not you know making the person under you look just like you and work right. just like you because that just creates more of the same. And we don't want more of the same right now because that's not the environment we live in. 
Right. That, and, and some have described that as leadership by checkers versus leadership by chess, because with checkers, all pieces can move in all the directions. Chess, mm-hmm. you got to be strategically moving the, moving those pieces. So it's it's looking at the individual and going, how can we make this person successful within this organization? Where's their strengths? Where's their weaknesses? And let's put them in the right role versus, oh, you pass the CPA exam, you get the letters behind you, then you should be able to do this right here. And you're going, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. That's, that's not me. I can help out the firm in, in other ways. And, and I hope someday we get to that, that way to make the firms a very diverse organization and thought. And and leadership and appearance, it's not as linear and black and white as it tends to be these days. Yep, it's not the environment that we're all operating in, and so we're we're trying to operate in a complex and ever changing, ever you know, just transforming almost environment, and yet we're trying to do things the way we've always done them, and yeah. even structure wise of a firm. I think all of those things are going to need to change and not just change. This is how we have thought about it. So we think of change as just doing something differently. So think about, um, and, and the CPA profession isn't great with that either. So think about <laughs> how hard it and long it took for firms to go paperless or to go from the, you know, paper ledger to Excel. We were just mm-hmm. talking about that, right. right? So that's that, that's changing. That's doing things differently, doing the same things, but just doing them different in a different way. Whereas transformation, I think of as actually doing different things. And so what does that mean for the profession? I think we're going to need to transform the profession. I think we're going to be able and need to do different things with the same amount of ethics, with the same foundational business knowledge, but different things and not just try and, you know, and that's what I see with technology and a lot of organizations. They're like, oh, I'm just going to go get AI or blockchain and I'm going to plug it in to the system that I'm currently doing. (laughs) And it's like, that's not what this is about. Um, It's not just, you know, it's not a new computer program that you log in and then you do your whole process the same, except, you know, one step new is you do this AI thing. No, it's completely looking at the entire um, workflow and the entire product and service that you're giving and completely transforming it based on the technology and based on, you know, what the client needs not what you've always done. I couldn't have said that any better. And, and the word transform, I'm hearing more often than not, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we're getting away from the word change and, and transform. And Daniel Burris is doing the chair of our, our convention in next year. And the theme of the convention is, uh, just take a guess. What do you think it, we, they've themed it? Transform. Transformation. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, now I'm reflecting back on just the little words that he did say. And he did say, it's not about change. It's about doing things completely different than we've done it. And when people say, this is the way we've always done it, in my mind, that means we need to change. We, mm-hmm. need, to, we need to transform. We need to transform, we need, yeah. yeah. We need to do it a completely different way. So before we wrap up, I got a question for you. Uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, you, you're very busy. You got a lot of things going on. So what do you like to do in your free time? What, what, what's, what's your hobby? It's my hobby. Or, so or, ho- I, or, or hobbies. Hobbies. So I, I have to say, if, if it's an acceptable hobby, and I'm not sure that it is, but I'm, I'm owning it, um, it's food. I love to eat. And it is probably, I, you know, that I've heard that there's two different types of people in this world. There's people that eat to live and there's people that live to eat. Mm. I'm a live to eat. Like I just enjoy 
good food and I enjoy um, watching people prepare good food. If there's a chef's table at a restaurant, that's where I want to sit. Um, I love learning about food, about wine and cocktails and pairings and all of those things. That has been something I think probably I was a little bit born with. I, I have my mom's side of the family is a deep Southern family. So, you know, they know how mm. to make good food. Mm-hmm. Um, my great grandfather actually owned a restaurant in Jackson, Mississippi, um, in a hotel that actually by the wonderful, you know, pleasant Providence, I was able to stay at the, they had just completely renovated and redid the hotel. And I got to stay in the hotel. My great grandfather's restaurant was such a cool experience, but yeah, that food, I just enjoy it so much. And it is about the people that you're with too. It's a, it's an experience. My dad calls it dinertainment. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's, you eat, but it's, you're entertained and you enjoy company of other people. Mm. And that's probably my one my one hobby, if I if I have to say one, if being an aunt is a hobby of um, acceptable hobby, that's that's my uh, probably my number one. I got to put her above food, but um, I absolutely adore my niece. Mm. I have a wonderful dog. I'm currently attempting to build a home, so that plus my job keeps me pretty busy. Um, but I just I just love this profession, and so the fact that. I do work a lot. I do work really hard, mm-hmm. but it's in my strength zones. I value it so much. It, um, I love the people I work with and I work for. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it not like a job. It, I am excited for the future of this profession. I'm passionate about it. And so I love what I do. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And you, and, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough about MACPA, BLI, your group been with you guys for, I don't even know how long I've been doing work for you guys for about, I think it's like eight years, maybe wow. longer. Yeah. And, and I get it. And I, and I love the passion that you all bring and, and the direction and, and the voice that's out there to, to help change the profession. But I have to, Take one quick step back. You live in Baltimore, which is like foodie heaven. Hey, we make some good food. <laughs> we make some good food. What is your favorite restaurant in Baltimore? Favorite restaurant in Baltimore. Hmm. So I love to try new things. So I'm, I, I don't, there's a couple of restaurants that I go back to over and over again, but trying to think that's so hard because I do I love to, I love to go different places I really I, I really like the farm to table kind mm-hmm. of fresh thing uh, so there's a place called Woodbury Kitchen that is amazing great farm to table concept and, and and fun cocktails and things like that too but I have to say since I moved so I moved almost I guess two years ago now out to kind of the country um, I'm about two, 25 minutes from the city. Eating at home has become more and more enjoyable too um, from that because I literally have, you know, this, this where I'm trying to build a land, uh, building a house. I'm living with my parents now. Just, just beautiful surroundings and like lambs and horses and donkeys next door. Mm-hmm. And um, so I haven't eaten at a whole lot of restaurants in Baltimore recently because I love being home all of a sudden. <laughs> so that's interesting when you said, what's your favorite restaurant in Baltimore? Because I don't go out like when I travel. That's yeah. like I. Tr- all of our vacations since I was little revolve around food. Like okay. when we're eating breakfast, we're talking about where we're going to have lunch, and when we're having lunch, we're talking about where we're going to have dinner. That's just been my family's thing. So I guess travel and food go together more to for me than home and food, which is interesting. I never really thought about that. Okay, so if traveling food, what's your favorite restaurant outside of Maryland when you travel? So the. Best meal I've ever had was in Nashville, Tennessee. 
um, at a place called the Cat Bird Seat. Okay. And it was the epitome of that dinertainment um, my dad talks about yeah. because it was a, uh, I think it was an eight or a 10 course meal. And it was the smallest restaurant I've ever been in. You just sat around this, basically sat around the counter in their kitchen mm. and watched them cook. And as oh. they cooked, they told you what they were making you. And um, the waiter just had, the menu was a blank piece of paper at the beginning of the meal. And as the chef made things and gave them to you, he wrote them down. And so at the end of the meal, you got to take home the menu that was all handwritten of everything you had. And it was just things I would never put together. I love trying new things. And it, it just was an, a phenomenal experience and really good food. Uh, so yeah, that was probably the best meal I've ever had. And it was really about the experience. Yeah. I've got to go to Nashville just, just to go to that, that restaurant. I mean, that, that's a, I, I, being great, growing up in restaurants, I cook, I, I get the food thing and, and I'm, I'm pretty critical when I go out because I want the experience. I, mm -hmm. you, can, you can give me great food, but if you give me horrible service, the food doesn't taste that good. Exactly. Yep. So, so there's gotta, there's gotta be that, that balance there, but yeah, I, I have to, I have to make a special trip to Nashville cause I'm already hungry. Yeah, uh, it was, it was an amazing experience. <laughs> cool. Well, Rebecca, thank you so very much for taking time out. I see people in the background going, she's got to get back to work. Cut oh, the <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. A lot of great information. And I uh, continue to wish you success. And hopefully soon I'll be up in Maryland and I can see you face-to-face -face versus through a Zoom camera. Yeah. Always love to see you, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. Just a, a wonderful time of discussion, you know, about the things that I'm passionate about. So thank you. Yeah. And you can tell the passions there in your voice, <laughs> which is which is the really cool thing. So I look forward to our next time and keep doing the good work you're doing up there. I'm trying. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I want to thank Rebecca Brown for taking her time to share her thoughts and wisdom on the future of the accounting profession. In episode 11, my guest is Kate Colbert, who is the author of the upcoming book, Think Like a Marketer how a shift in mindset can change everything for your business. And in full transparency, Kate is also the publisher of my new book. She provides great advice for anyone in business, and our conversation is tailored to the accounting professional. Thank you for listening and begin the process of changing your mindset and getting out of your comfort zone and develop new skill sets to become more future ready. Your call to action is to become more familiar with artificial intelligence and blockchain so you can begin to become more strategic in your organization and with your clients. Remember, a part of being future ready is being an improviser. And being an improviser is someone who's willing to take risks in order to grow. I thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>